0: So we talked about, well, how do you make a transition from that to this? And I said, well, I'll think of something. I really haven't thought of anything. I mean, you you think about it, there is no transition. And uh, I just want to say that if you have uh, children that you want to come to that, you as a parent are going to have to determine whether your child is ready for it. It's intense. It's going to be an intense experience. It is a true experience. It is... uh, It's reflective of what many of our brothers and sisters around the world are going through. So you just, if you want to kind of say, you know, um, this doesn't have anything to do with my message. But I will say this. We have an election coming up and some of us are wringing our hands and saying, oh, woe is us. We're in such a bad situation. I just want to say, yes, I understand the election is challenging this year, right? But I'll tell you what, at least we have an election. At least we have people we can vote for. At least we have uh, the, the ability to to worship in, in freedom and to publicly talk about Jesus and do all those things. Uh, so many of our brothers and sisters in the world don't have that. So just let that kind of balance out how bad the United States is and all this other stuff. Um, uh, we, we could be in for a lot uh, worse state than we are right now. So we've been moving through the book of Philippians. We're uh, finishing up uh, this weekend, and two weeks ago we said, oh, how do we conquer worry, anxiety? And we said worry is going to be a part of our lives. We're always going to worry. It's a place we visit, but it shouldn't be a place we live, right? We shouldn't have an address in the neighborhood of worry or anxiety. It's it's a place that now and then we're going to say, oh, that, I'm worried. What do I do? But that we remember God, and we say, that's where I visit. It's not where I live, right? Last weekend, we talked about contentment, and we said contentment isn't being satisfied and happy with everything that's going on in our lives. It's not like we walk around with this stupid grin on our face when life is going bad and saying, yeah, it's all good. No, it's not all good, uh, but contentment means that we're able to cope, we're able to handle, we're able to deal with whatever life gives us. So this weekend, Paul's going to talk about money. It's one of my favorite subjects. If you are new to Hope Church, you you need to realize that I love talking about money. I want to talk about it every week. Um, I I enjoy it. I want to speak about money every weekend. In fact, I'm building an empire, my empire, and I need money for my empire. I I want to buy a jet. I want to get new threads. Obviously, I need them, right? I want a nice... Cool looking car. I want a, like a really hot looking car, and and I want a new crib. I want a really nice new crib, and and I'm not going to do that unless I get money from you. And that's why I'm going to talk about money. And if you heard anything I said, that's absolutely now. The sad part about it is you were most of you were laughing because you know that's not who I am. It's not what I think, and I don't really like talking about this. But there are preachers on your TV set that said just essentially what I said. And people go, amen. Well, don't say amen to me because that was a bunch of malarkey. We are going to talk about uh, giving. And we are going to talk about generosity because Paul talks about it in the passage we're looking at. And uh, it's on page 901. It's Philippians chapter 4. And what's going on here is Paul is thanking the Philippians because they supported Paul in his ministry. They paid the bills so that Paul could go out and travel and take the gospel and plant churches. And so uh, he's, (laughs) the amazing thing is Paul uh, had this money sent and it was 800 miles away. And this guy, and by the way, we're going to do uh, baby dedications at the end of the service. And if you're looking for a name and you're a mom and you're pregnant and you're thinking every name has been used, I've got a new one for you. Epaphroditus, all right, it's hard to spell, Um, uh, it's spelled E-P-A-P-H-R-O-D-I-T-U-S, that is a name, but this guy, Epaphroditus, he basically went and took this offering 800 miles, not on a train, not on a boat, I mean, this was a long trip, and he brought it to Paul. And so Paul's going to talk about that. So Philippians chapter 4, verse 15, page 901. As you know, you Philippians, you were the only ones who gave me financial help when I brought you the good news and then traveled on, uh, traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me more than help more than once. I, didn't say that. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, uh, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And then notice the last verse we're going to read. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. And I want to really focus on that last verse because I think it's pretty significant. But it's, and I think it's a promise, but we need to see how it's given. So the, their generosity supported Paul's ministry. Notice what he says. He says, no one else except you gave. You were the only ones that gave. Uh, you know what, we, every one of us has an opportunity to be generous, but not all of us use that opportunity to make the most of us. So you might think, well, I don't really have a lot, so therefore I don't have a lot. When I have a lot, then I will be generous. And so the idea is, and many people think this, that generosity is that I have a lot and I give a little of what I have to someone else, and that's being generous. Okay, that's generosity. But that's not generosity. Do you remember the widow's mite? The widow's mite was, was you know, it's an observation that Jesus made one day at the temple. When people were going to the temple, they would leave an offering. And this woman, this widow, put two coins in the offering. And it was nothing compared to what everybody else was giving. It was nothing. But it was out of her need. It was all that she had. And Jesus says she gave more than anyone else. What he was saying is she didn't have anything. But she was the most generous person that day. See, so generosity is not tied to how much you have. And you've got to get away from that. You've got to get away from this idea that generosity is tied to. Some of you have this idea, when I have more, then I'll be generous. No, my my thing is, if if you're not generous now, having more is not going to make you generous. The second thing we see is, they they, they, they didn't just help Paul out. They had fully funded his ministry. Somebody has said, and I love this saying, God's work done in God's way in God's time will never lack God's supply. God's work done in God's way in God's time will never lack God's supply. And I believe that with all my heart. I believe that God has supplied for this church over the years because we have said, God, we need it now. And God says, OK, here it is. This is what you need. Now, maybe not what you want, but this is what you need. Right. Uh, but that, that, that's the plan. We are God's plan. Just as they were in Paul's day we are God's plan for funding his church to do the kingdom work He accomplishes his kingdom work through the sacrificial giving of his people you and me That's how we do ministry. That's how we do what God's called us to do Number three, they supported Paul from the beginning. They were new believers They were baby christians, but they didn't have to grow up to become generous And sometimes you think well I wish I knew the Bible more. Well, that's a good thing. But you know what? You don't have to know the Bible more to know that to be generous. You just give what you have and you don't have to have a lot to give a lot. Um, they didn't have to grow up to give. They began a habit of sacrificial giving, giving from the start. Uh, the, the point I want you to see is the way that you manage your money is a snapshot of where you're placing your trust, how you view eternity and how you view the ownership of everything you possess, How you handle your money, Jesus said, is a reflection of your heart. He said this in Matthew 6.21. He said, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be. They had a humble and unique beginning. This church was uh, formed when Paul met a, a few generous women. who began. The first thing they offered was a place to stay. And they, they, they put Paul up, and they take, took care of Paul and his crew. And then they funded Paul, and they, they helped him go and carry out the ministry. So they began from the beginning as a generous. Uh, they were generous from the, minute, from the beginning. They were instrumental in Paul, not only in the founding of that church, but in the founding of other churches. They gave consistently and constantly over the long haul. They funded Paul, many people believe, not just for weeks, not just for months, but probably for ten years they funded Paul. Paul did ministry because they funded him. They paid the bills. They were constantly generous to Paul and to God. They had gone ten years to support Paul as he took the gospel to the world. What the church desperately needs today, among other things, is it needs planned, generous givers who don't need to give because we show you a picture of a starving child or a burned out, uh, a burned out village or a, a flood that just ravaged a community. You know, it seems like, have you noticed this? Have you noticed that, that to get people to give, you have to have a really sad story and people say, oh, well, I want to help out. Well, you know what? It's not always a sad story. And, and it shouldn't have to be a sad story. They gave sacrificial consistently and long term to fund the work of God's kingdom. They gave their time. They gave their talent. They gave their money, first and foremost, to the local church and then to Paul. And that's why they were able to be. Uh, and Paul's going to say there's a blessing that comes to them. And that's what we want to look at next. So you see. Generosity doesn't matter how much you have it's not tied to how much you have generosity is a reflection of who God is God is generous to us he gave his only son uh, generosity is something that we're all called to do and we don't wait and you know and generosity isn't something that is for the major leagues right. Uh, It's it's a minor league thing Uh, So you may say well i'm in the minor leagues as a christian Well, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a minor league or major league. It's something you do from the start It's something a good practice and uh, jesus said it's a reflection of your heart But paul makes a promise and this is verse 19 that I said I want to look at paul is saying because of what they had done for him now God would supply all their needs according to his riches. And I want to unpack that a a little bit. Because what Paul is saying here is, because of what you did for me now, God is going to do this for you. So the question is, what was God going to do for, for them? And ultimately, what would God do for us as we show the same generosity? Now, again, this is not a blanket promise. He's not saying... God is going to supply all that you want according to his riches. That's not what he's saying. It's you See, God is not a cosmic vending machine. And many people think he is. And, uh, you know... Uh, I think understanding the context of what's going on, Paul is saying, because you did this for me, because you supported me, because you were there for me, because you gave consistently, because over the last 10 years you were there, now God is and has been, but he's going to continue to, to supply all your needs according to his great riches. So you have to take it in context, because if you just cherry pick that one verse and say, God's going to give me everything I want. Well, now we've got a problem because that's not what Paul's saying here. It's kind of like going to uh, Romans eight twenty eight. You know, that's a verse that a lot of Christians cherry pick. Uh, Romans eight twenty eight says God causes everything to work together for good. We love that part, but then he says, "Of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them." So there's a, there's a qualifier. It doesn't say that God is, it, it works everything for good for everyone. He says God works out everything for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. It's not a promise for everyone. It's a narrow promise. And so the same thing's happening here. I don't think you can go to this. My God will supply all your need and just say, well, God said he's going to supply all our need. Uh, when you are not showing any generosity towards God, you're not even looking to God. You're basically saying, OK, God, I spent everything. I don't have anything. I'm in a corner. Uh, now, what do I do? Rescue me. You know, that's not what, what he's talking about. Here's a, key po- a couple key points from the promise. He says I, that God will meet all of our needs, not our wants. There's a big difference between needs and wants, isn't there? Um, What I want, though, is I want the promise to say want, you know, God is going to give me everything I want, right? That's that's basically what I want it to say, but it doesn't say that it's like you're it's like you're here's what we are. We're like a seven year old boy sometimes and we go to God and, you know, it'd be like if you had a seven year old boy and he came up to you one day and said, Dad. I'd like a switchblade. And you go, wow, school must be getting rough or something. I, what's going on here that you need a switchblade? Um, but you would, as, as a good father, say, son, you know, I don't know why you need a switchblade. Maybe we need to have that conversation too. But you're not going to get one and it's not because I don't love you it's because I do love you that I'm not going to give you a switchblade so you don't either kill yourself or kill someone else or mortally wound someone in in the process. Good parents don't give their kids everything they want, right? If you're a good parent, you don't. Now, what I've noticed though is sometimes parents can and some would say, "Well, this is a new trend because parents today give their kids everything." And you know, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think that That all parents from different times did that. But I I don't think you're doing your, your kids any favors when you give them everything they want. Well, good parents give their kids what they need. Not necessarily what they want, right? Because kids don't know what they want. And sometimes the things they want are not good things to want. Paul is saying, though, here that God will give us what we really need. And he's also saying something very important when we really need it. See, so those two go together because sometimes we say, God, I really need this. And God says, OK, I know you need that, but you don't need it now yet. You'll get it when you need it. You'll have it when you need it. The promise shows us that God will sometimes withhold something we think we really need right now for our own good. He'll say no. And he does it for our own good because he loves us. Right. God, did, did you notice something? God doesn't need a garage. It's not like god has all these storehouses or you know barns or things like that He he's got the best delivery service ever It's better than fedex better than ups. God has what I call just in time delivery He gives you what you need just in time just when you need it Sometimes not a second sooner, right? Um, I've said this before that when we moved into town 18 years ago, we had a moving truck and not everything was in that truck that we needed. And uh, the same is true when I became a pastor here at Hope Church. Uh, when I needed things or when we needed things, God provided those things, whatever they were. And that's the thing. I, I mean, I'd love to be able to have a couple of garages where God says, okay, here's where, you're going to need this in five years, but it's already there. Don't worry. Don't worry about it. It'll be there. Um, he just... Sometimes it's the last minute God just shows up and he gives you stuff that you need when you need it. The point is God gives us exactly what we need just when we need it. Now, here's our problem. We think God should give it to us when we want it and at the time we want it. And, it's, you know, one of my biggest problems with the name it, claim it gospel is this, that it turns God into this cosmic vending machine it says if you just name it and claim it, God God is obligated to give you what you want, what you demand, what you ask for. And I'm sorry, I don't see that in Scripture. I don't see that in Scripture. God loves you too much to give you everything you want when you want it. It doesn't work with your kids, as I said, and it doesn't work with. Uh, you now, maybe your kids are sitting there thinking right now, wait a minute, wait a minute. I wouldn't mind if, if mom and dad gave me everything I asked for when I wanted it. I could live with that. I, I vote for that. And, and as a kid, you probably would. But, but as a parent, you know, not, that's not the best thing for you. God's promise is that if we stick with him, our needs will be met perfectly and on time. And that's what Paul's saying here. Not our wants, but our needs. Not ahead of time necessarily, but right on time when we need Him. That's the promise, all right? But there's one other part of the promise. The other part of the promise is when we are already showing generosity, when we are living out that life of generosity. But the other thing he says is very interesting. It's almost subtle there, and we kind of looked at it. We we went over it quickly, but I want to stop there for a minute. He says, I will supply all your needs according to the riches of God, right? According to God's riches. In other words, he will meet our needs in accordance with his riches. He says this. Look at verse 19. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So this is a fine point of the passage. What he's saying now is he's saying how he will supply it. Okay? Um, He's saying how he will supply our needs. Now, it's one thing for God to supply out of his riches. It's another thing to, to, to say that God supplies according to his riches. Now, what do I mean by that? Let's just say for a moment that you're a very rich person. OK, that you have millions of dollars. All right. And let's just say that there's a person who has a need. Right. And let 's just say they, they have a need, and you, as a, a very rich person say i 'm going to give you uh, something that I have out of, out of uh, i 'm going to give it out of my wealth, out of my wealth i 'm going to give it to you. So I may give you one hundred dollars, right and you'd say, well, wow, that 's great. you gave me one hundred dollars. I mean you 're worth fifty million and you gave me one hundred dollars. but that is out of your wealth. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says that Jesus, that God, will give us according to his wealth. That means in accordance with his wealth. That means that God says, I will give you in accordance to my wealth. So if you're a millionaire, basically you say, well, $100, that may not be enough. I may need to give you more than that. And the point is that God has riches, and he gives us according to his great riches, not out of then it means it's, it's in line with his riches. And uh, it, it's not good to just be, don't get caught up with material wealth, because if you, do, if you are, you're missing the whole point of what we're talking about. See, God not only meets our needs, he not only arrives in time, but he gives us generously according to his riches. And if you want God to respond generously to your needs, as Paul has described, you need to, destru- to demonstrate Philippian-like generosity. I mean, it makes sense if you're not being generous to God, if you're hoarding things and holding things to yourself, then why would you think that God would? I mean, if he gives you stuff according to his riches, it just doesn't seem like that's a good idea. But when you say, God, I trust you. God, I I, I want to uh, everything I have is yours anyways, and I'm, I'm releasing them. That's what the Philippians were doing. We'll see that in a minute. Um they were giving out of their need. They were they were sacrificing. And God says, when you sacrifice like that, when you give like that, I will take care of you. I will provide for you. Many times what we do is we go to God when we're throwing. We basically say, that's it. I'm in a, I a tight spot. God, you've got to get me out of here. And it's not we're not in a tight spot because we've been giving sacrificially. We've been in a tight spot because we've kind of been spending money on ourselves. Right. So what is generous giving? We'll close with a few things. It's it's off the top. The Philippians gave from the from the start. They gave out of their own need. They gave generously. Uh, again, remember, generosity is not contingent on how much you have. Uh, this is what the writer of Proverbs says. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your product, all you produce, and then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, remember, you got to be very careful. with The Book of Proverbs; these are not promises book of Proverbs isn't a promise. The book of Proverbs is basically a book of general principles. If you do this, then generally this will work. So 95% of the time, 90% of the time, if you do this, this will occur. That's essentially what Proverbs are. It's not an ironclad promise, and when you get to that point, you are uh, opening yourself up for disappointment. Basically what the proverb is saying is this is how life generally works. That when you honor God with the first fruits of the harvest – then he will take care of you. He will multiply and take care of you. When you give off the top from the start, out of your need, you're not only, you not only get the blessing of God's provision, but you are exercising your faith. See, if you only give what is left over, you're giving what you already have. But when you give off the top, you're giving by faith. You're giving to God's agenda first and trusting that he will supply your needs down the road. You're you're basically saying, God, I'm going to give sacrificially and I'm going to get at the beginning. and I'm going to give off the top so that you're going to have to somehow supply my needs. Because if you don't, I'm not going to make it. Now, if we were to ask ourselves, how many of us have that mindset about giving? Because that's essentially what the Philippians were doing. That's how they approached it. So, so their lives depended on God. It wasn't like God was a backup plan. It was the plan. Generous giving is, is thanking God for what he has already done and believing in his future supply. Uh, Malachi says this. This is Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. This is page 729 if you want to turn there. Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in the temple. If you do, says the Lord of Heaven's army, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in try it. Please put me to the test. Now, this isn't an investment strategy that Malachi is saying, here's God's new investment strategy. That's not what he's saying. What he's essentially saying, though, is if you're stingy towards God, then you're going to struggle financially, probably. That's essentially what he's saying. But if you're generous towards God, he will be generous to you. That's the principle of what Malachi's saying. And so you say, Well, Pastor, that's an Old Testament passage and we're not we I know the New Testament doesn't say you should tithe ten percent. You're right, you shouldn't tithe ten percent. You probably should tithe more than ten percent, but that's we could have that argument some other time. It's very clear though that money is a big issue with us. It's a, big, it's a big struggle with us. And Jesus says it's where our heart dwells, where your treasure is, there your heart is. And so we have to wrestle with this, and we have to figure this out. We have to say, okay, am I really depending on God or not? Or if I say, no, I'm depending on a bank account, I'm depending on my job, I'm depending on my health, all these other things. And, and basically what Malachi says, if you're stingy towards God, if you think that you are going to do this, and you're, you don't need God at all, except if there's an emergency, you're not understanding God, and you're not understanding generosity. And you're probably going to struggle. Now, the next thing. Now, I want to say this. Don't give out of guilt. Don't go give to put on a show. Don't give to give, get rich. That's the one thing I hate about the online uh, and TV preachers. They say give and then God will multiply. I can see, there's the verse. No, that's not what it's saying. And you're missing the whole point, you idiot. Sorry. It, it, it's true. That's not what God's saying. Okay, because all you're doing is getting money and it's not that's not God. God doesn't care whether you're rich or poor. That's not his God isn't saying, oh, I wish every Christian was rich. I don't think that's what God's saying. God is saying you have time, you have talent and you have money. And one day you're going to be held accountable. How do you how you invested those things? You're going to be called to give an account. That's essentially what he's going to say. So have you been generous? Have you been giving your time, your talent, and your money? Have you been leveraging it for his kingdom or not? I mean, it's all three of those. It's not just your money. It's your time and your talent too. Because one day you'll be asked, what did you do? The, the second thing is, it's it's off the top. It's over the long haul. They gave over a 10-year period. They were long haul givers. Some of you have been long haul givers not since you've been to hope, but since you've been a follower of Jesus Christ, you know what it means to give sacrificially and regularly and consistently. You know what it is that 's just what you do it 's built in you have a system over time. you have built a habit, a discipline, a pattern for your giving you you're, you, you may be moved by an emotional response you may see a picture of a starving child or a a, a burned down uh, a village or you know a ravaged group of people and you'll say somebody has to do something and i'm going to give to that but that's not the only time you give that's above and beyond what you already are giving but it's amazing to me how how we you know sometimes feel compelled and uh christian agencies feel like we have to get some starving child in there people won't give it has to be very emotive people have to be moved by their emotions but you know the thing about emotions is it's there today and gone tomorrow We need to be driven by our commitments more than our emotions. Think about that. How does that work in your marriage if you're only driven by your emotions? It's not a a good marriage. You know, you have to wake up every day with the same person and say, whether I like it or not, I'm going to love this person, right? That's a commitment you make. And some days it's really easy and fun, and some days it's not so much fun. But if you don't have that commitment, man, you are like on a roller coaster for a while. Paul is asking the Gentiles churches to give to the Jews in Jerusalem who are struggling. Notice what he says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. He says, now regarding your question about the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure I gave to the churches in Galatia. On the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. So Paul's basically saying, be systematic, have a plan. Are you systematic? Do you have a plan? I'm not telling you how much to give. That's between you and God. But are you systematic and do you have a plan? Paul is asking the people of Corinth to give thoughtfully, systematically, and generously. And then uh, number three, it's out of our need. We can give out of abundance, and there really is no faith or effort on our part. If we're giving out of our abundance, the extra we have, we're really not stretching ourselves. We're not giving sacrificially. When you give sacrificially, you're giving out of your need. You're saying, unless somehow we make this up, we're going to need God to help us here. Sacrificial giving. You know, we often think when I have enough, I'll give giving out of need is saying I will give to God, even if it means I may need to sacrifice something else in my life. If you don't have to sacrifice in your giving, you're not giving out of your need. Are you giving up things? From your life. I don't know what those are. But are you giving up things and saying, I would like that, but I don't have to have that. I can do without that so that I can leverage this for God's work and God's kingdom. Are you doing that? Because that's what sacrificial giving is. You feel it. You don't do certain things that you normally would do. You hold back on certain things. You you are more thoughtful about what you're doing. The Philippians... now. You may say, well, the Philippians, they were rich. They were well off. No, they weren't. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, page 886. Paul says, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God has in his kindness has done through the churches of Macedonia. That's the Philippians. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it out of their own free will. They were poor. They did it sacrificially. Paul says they were the only ones that gave. But they had joy. How is it possible? Because we're told unless you have a lot, you can't have joy. And here Paul says, it doesn't. joy isn't measured by how much you have. It's what you do with what you have. If you want to, be a gen, if you want to become generous, uh, if, uh, what I mean to say is if you wait to become generous, you'll never become generous. Now, for some of you, this is the battlefront. This is ground zero for you. It's money. That's a big issue with you. Your finances. You can't trust God with your money. Maybe I should say this. God can't trust you with his money. Because that's the struggle that you're having right now. It's not that you can't trust God. It's that God really can't trust you. This is going to continue to be the issue that will keep you from becoming what God desires you to become because you're just tied into this materialism. And frankly, folks, we live in a very materialistic culture. It's very difficult to fight this. It's very difficult. But if you hoard for yourself, why would you think God would give you more of his resources to waste on yourself? Have you ever thought about that? When you're just spending it on yourself selfishly, God says, well, why would I give you more when you're wasting what I've given you already? You know, we use a phrase. We use it from time to time here. We said that coming to faith in Christ, becoming a Christian is like giving the steering wheel of your car right over to God. So basically, you're driving your life, but when you come to Christ, you basically realize that he is God. You're not. He's the driver. You're not. And you give your heart to him. You give your life to him. You give the steering wheel of your life. You say, God, you gave your life to me. Jesus, you gave your life to me. Now, I give my life to you. I give you the steering wheel of my life. You lead me. You guide me. You be my king because you're the king of kings and lord of lords anyway. So it makes sense that I make you king of my life, right? So we do that. But here's the thing. Here's what I'm talking about. We give God, we're okay with giving God the steering wheel. I don't have my wallet in my pocket. But we're not okay with giving God our ATM card. That's the struggle. You want to be generous? You got to put all the ATM, all the credit cards, all put it on there and say, God, what do you want me to do with this? when you begin to start wrestling with that you'll find what Paul says that God will supply all your needs according to God's riches but until you do that i can't think i can't promise you that that promise will be true in your life that's what Paul's saying to us today that's what he's saying to us this weekend when you're generous to god When you give sacrificially, God will take care of you in ways that you'll never, you'll never, you'll be an amazing. That's what it means to be generous. That's what it means to reflect him. Stand with me. Let's pray. So, Father, uh, you are so generous. You gave your son. And he gave his life. You're all about giving. Help us to see that everything that we have, just the, even the very breath, the very freedom that we have to get together this weekend, is a gift from you. We, we don't deserve it. We, we, you allow it to us. Help us to make the most of it. Help us to leverage our time, our talent, and our money for your kingdom. For your glory. Help us not to have to wait to be motivated by our emotions or a picture of a a starving child. But help us to. Give. Planned. Sacrificially. With whatever you've given to us. Help us to at least have that conversation. Because that may be the battleground. It may be our ATM card. Maybe our credit card. So, Father, we want you to win the battle. Because we want to experience what could take place in our lives when we release those resources for your kingdom and experience the joy that you promised those who will do that. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.